0: This morning we are reading from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, Holy Father, we're so thankful for your word and the truths that you have given us through it. We are thankful for this space to meet as a family and a body of believers who believe in your truths and worship you. Father, I pray that through your word this morning, we will hear those truths. We will hear them loudly. We are eager to hear from you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for joining us and helping us here. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: As a church, we, our mission is to lead people to be passionate followers of Jesus. And of course, in order to help lead people to do that, we ourselves need to aspire to become passionate followers of Jesus. And to be passionate followers of Jesus, we need to do three things. One, we need to spend time with him. Two, we need to work towards looking more like him. And then third, out of that, we need to try to live like Jesus did. And two powerful examples of things Jesus did and ways that he stayed connected to his Father in heaven while he was here on earth was through prayer and fasting. Jesus both fasted and prayed an incredible number of times, but often we don't really think about that. And as we enter into doing the same, what we really do is accomplish the three things that we're trying to set out to do. So over the next three weeks, as we pray and fast, I'm going to teach as well on those practices. And today we're going to begin with fasting because I know for most of us, uh, fasting is probably the one we think about the least easy for us to throw up a quick prayer or maybe we're familiar with the Lord's Prayer and we pray that regularly or maybe we just have uh, a regular routine, a list we pray through, something like that. But to fast is something that we do far less frequently. One study said that less than 50% of Christians have ever fasted. One survey of a specific church from a pastor I know showed that only about two percent of a church fasted in any form of regularity. So what is fasting? Well, fasting at its most basic is just the act of not eating food. Fasting, though, as a spiritual practice is not eating as an opportunity to worship. So fasting is not eating food as an act of worship, and this is something we see Jesus do. Now, I know that seems a little bit different, because I don't know about you, but when I think about Jesus' life, I typically think about times of feasting. I think about a lot of times where Jesus ate food and did so with others. I mean, I can think about things like the Last Supper. I think about Jesus feeding 5,000. I think about that time where Jesus went to a wedding and the party wanted to go on, so he turned the water into wine. I think about Jesus eating and feasting an awful lot. Fasting, not so much. But if we're to look at the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life, across the four of them we'll see that Jesus fasts a number of times. And that fasting actually comes at critical moments. Just like the scripture reading we had where Jesus was preparing to launch into his public ministry, he first went out And fasted forty days and forty nights, and during that time of fasting, we see that he had to meditate on Scripture. He brought those things back. That he engaged in some spiritual warfare as Satan tried to come and attack. And through those things, he both drew closer to God the Father in the in the earthly sense. And then he also prepared himself for what he was called to do over the next three years in his public ministry. And so we see that Jesus fasted. Now, it'd be really easy to just write it off as a Jesus thing if it was only Jesus who did it. But we actually see through all of Scripture that almost every major figure that we can think of through history in Scripture fasted. Moses fasted, King David fasted, Elijah fasted, Esther fasted, Daniel fasted, Nehemiah fasted, the prophetess Anna fasted, Paul fasted, the nation of Israel fasted, the city of Nineveh fasted. There's all sorts of fasts that take place as people both enter into rhythms of it and as they respond to God in certain moments. Fun fact here. The Bible mentions baptism 75 times, but it actually mentions fasting two more times than that. We think about baptism a lot. I mean, we're a Baptist church. We have a baptismal back here always on the ready in case someone wants to get baptized. But how often do we think about fasting? Well, If you don't think about it very much, you're not alone, as I've already said. But if fasting isn't a part of our lives, are we perhaps missing out? This thing that's referenced so often in Scripture, this thing that God's followers did so regularly, this thing that Jesus himself participated in. Well, I hope you're ready. I hope you're thinking about it, but perhaps you're not. Maybe you're sitting here and be like, yeah, but do I really have to? Do do I really have to do a fast? And I get that. I mean, fasting doesn't really come up. Like, some of us don't even feel prepared because we don't even think about it. Or if we think about it, usually it's related to, like, a health practice, like intermittent fasting, going a period of time without food to sort of kickstart our metabolism and do some health things. We don't often think about it in sort of a spiritual sense. And then there's also just the fact, let's be honest, we've all been indoctrinated, myself included, into the belief that we need to regularly eat food. And the best life, we believe, comes from eating rich and tasty foods too. Right? This is is part of our life. But really what we see in Scripture is there's an invitation into something different, something more. Now I'll be upfront and say that there is never an explicit command... says to fast. There's no thing that you'll read in the Bible, if you open it up, even in the old King James, that says, thou shall fast or else. There's no, you're a horrible sinner for not fasting. But while it's never explicitly commanded, we see that it is implicitly taught and seen so that there's something for us to pick up on. For instance, just two chapters after which we just read, when Jesus went away and fasted, he ends up teaching something called the Sermon on the Mount. And in that, we read this passage. This is Jesus saying, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast... Put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So let's notice two things right just in this verse alone. First of all, it says when you fast, not if. When you fast, not if. As I said, this comes in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount teaching, where Jesus is giving his uh, followers clear instruction. He's giving them his best message and his best advice for how to live a thriving life, both spiritually and otherwise. And in the midst of that, we come into this part where this passage is found, the context, where Jesus also speaks to things like giving and praying. Things that we regularly take part in and consider a part that's central to the Christian life. None of us ever look at that passage in the Sermon on the Mount and go, when Jesus says, when you give, and go, well, I guess I don't need to not do it because it's a sin not to. None of us read, when you pray, and go, well, I guess I don't need to pray because it's not a sin not to. No, we understand that Jesus is giving us an instruction of something we ought to do for our benefit. And so in the midst of that, we somehow ignore when you fast. Perhaps there's something there that we need to pick up on that's fresh. Now a couple chapters after this, we see that Jesus also again talks about a timing for us to fast. In chapter 9, we read, when Jesus is asked why his disciples aren't fasting, he says this, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. Jesus said that a time would come for his disciples to fast, and that time would be when he is no longer physically present with them. Well, Jesus is in heaven. We're waiting for him to return. So by reading this passage, we should understand this is our time to fast. So it's when we fast, not if. But another reason that we see in that first passage in Matthew 6, verse 18, is that there's actually a promise of God for when we fast. It says, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, it doesn't tell us how or when or where God's going to provide a certain type of reward. But what it does tell us is that this is a promise of God. And if God promises something, it happens. And we know that for a fact, and we know we can have it and trust in it. Why? Because of what God has done through Jesus, through Jesus' death and resurrection. God's already dealt with the most significant promise that he's ever made, and so we can trust him in these smaller things. And so there's this idea that we should be fasting, that it's a regular part of discipleship, of life, of following after Jesus. The question then is, so what purpose should we have in it? Like, what should the reason be behind uh, why we fast? Well, that's really an important thing for us to consider. Because let me tell you what happens when you don't have a good purpose when you fast. You get miserable. And I mean, you are miserable when you fast without a purpose. Let me read you uh, an account of one guy that I read. This is him sharing this in a book on fasting. He said, you know, I fasted on several occasions and I felt like nothing ever happened. I just got hungry. He then goes on to describe sort of his miserable experience. He said, you know, I couldn't even go to the breakfast table with my family because I didn't think I would have enough willpower to abstain from eating. So rather than spending time with my family, I simply went to work. But then at work, the coffee break was unbearable. And I had to tell a little white lie to get out of why I didn't want to go with the group. And all I could think about all day was how hungry I was. So I said to myself, if I ever get through this day, I'll never try this again. Maybe this is an experience you've had. And I can attest to personally uh, knowing the difference that a purpose in fasting has. I remember the very first time I ever fasted, it was very clear to me what I was supposed to do. I was a youth, I was in grade eight, and I had been at a youth conference, and during a time of worship, God used something that someone said in that time to speak very clearly to me. I felt that I was being called to give up junk food for 40 days, and and, and what God told me was, I want you to do this as a way to set yourself apart like Daniel did. Now, I know it seems a little bit silly to be a grade 8 student who feels like they're called to give up junk food, and you might just think maybe that was just a tired kid at a youth conference, but really, God did incredible things. I remember uh, that it was a powerful time because there was something my friends and I would do every day. From the beginning of grade 7 to that part in grade 8, every single day, we would walk at lunchtime from our school campus to Seven Eleven. And I worked just so I could do this, just so I could have the money to get a Slurpee, a bag of chips, maybe a chocolate bar, or some five-cent candies. You know, this is something that I did with my friends. And every day I would do this with my friends, both Christian and non-Christian. Well, suddenly I felt called to have this change. And so I decided that every day I would still walk with my friends. And so I would walk with my friends to 7-Eleven, And instead of buying anything, I would choose not to. And during that time, it was amazing how God spoke clearly to me and helped me to draw closer to him. And another thing that happened was people began to ask questions. Like, Kyle, you're still working, right? Yeah, you have money, then why aren't you buying a Serpy? And I'd have opportunity to interact with them. It was a great time, and even though there were challenges in fasting that way, there was this hook within me that kept pulling me along and encouraged me through all of it. Now, fast forward that to the next time that I tried to fast. This time, I didn't think at all about why I was fasting, and so I struggled through the whole experience. I just was like, well, I guess I should, and so I'm just going to do it, and Well, I was miserable and hangry and grumpy and irritable and angry with everybody. And every moment that my stomach would grumble, I'd say to myself, I should just quit. What was different? The purpose. This has been an on and off thing for me, and probably for many others if you talk to people who fast regularly, that when they have a clear and articulated purpose, it makes all the difference doesn't mean there's not going to be a struggle. It doesn't mean there's not going to be hunger, pains, or different things going on within you. But it does allow you to press into God and what he would have for you. So having the right purpose is key. But there's also wrong purposes. So let's start with those. Bad purpose number one, looking spiritual. This is what Jesus talked about in that passage in Matthew chapter 6. You see, in his day, it was very common for people to fast. That was part of their regular rhythm. And one of the problems became the Pharisees would end up making themselves look terrible. So you were like, man, they're really going through the ringer on this fast. Like, look how spiritual they are. They're really doing this. And Jesus said, well, that was the reward you get the noticing of the people who are surrounded around you, that's all the reward that I would have for you. It's very different, though, he says, when we do something else. But he tells us very clearly, if we want to enter into fasting to be holier than thou or to seem super spiritual, we're not going to get anything out of it. And so for those of you who may consider going in this over the next 21 days with us, no, that can't be our purpose. Second reason we can't, thing we shouldn't do, a bad purpose, is to get stuff from God. Sadly, this is something that I had picked up, and I don't even know where exactly I picked it up. Maybe it was from the fact that I read scripture and saw that people got things after they fasted. Maybe it was a teaching I, I picked up on somewhere. But I had come to this wrong conclusion that the reason I was fasting was to get something from God. And sometimes this is our approach when we come to fasting. We say, well, maybe if I fast, God will grant me this. Or God will get me that. Or God will heal me. And the list can go on and on. And we say, God, I'm fasting so that you fill in the blank. Well, remember what Jesus said when Satan's tempting him in the wilderness. We're not to what? Manipulate God. Manipulate God. We're not here to test him. That's not what fasting is. It's not about getting. In fact, it's the complete opposite. We see time and time again, the number one reason found in scripture for fasting is not to get from God, but to give to him. The first reason we fast is to be an offering to God, to please him. You might remember when a couple of years ago, we went through the book of Romans, and right in the center of the book of Romans is chapter 12, the well, center of sort of how it flows, and in the, that chapter, it begins with telling us, you know what, you've learned all this good stuff. Paul's spe- spent all these other 11 chapters telling us things we should know as believers, and then he says, this is then what your response should be. You know, I don't know about you, but the whole time I've grown up in the church, the thing I've heard most is give your heart to Jesus. Give your heart to Jesus. And that means trust Jesus. Give over your emotions to Jesus. Lean on Jesus when you feel anxiety and stress. And all those things are good, but that's not offering our body. We also often think about giving our minds to God. We think, you know what, I'm going to study the Bible I'm going to go to church and learn. I'm going to know everything I need to know about what the Bible says, and that's great. It tells us to conform our minds, so or to transform our minds, and not be conformed to the patterns of this world, so that we can learn what God would have for us. But still, that's not a holistic view. When God speaks to His people, He says for them to love them with their heart, their soul, their mind and their strength, meaning their body. God wants the whole of us. And one of the ways that we do that, one of the ways we offer all of ourselves to him is by fasting. Fasting is giving our body and what our body wants over to God. Theologian Scott McKnight calls fasting body talk. It's the way we talk to God with our body. It's how we say to God, I want you, I need you, I hunger for you more than anything. You know, by physically restraining ourselves, we're simultaneously using that, we're supposed to simultaneously use that time and perhaps energy that we would put into preparing food or eating or spending time, uh, you know, around a table with people. To And we're supposed to take that time and apply it towards God, offering ourselves to him. Sometimes we do that through reading scripture. Sometimes we do that by praying. Sometimes we do that by going and doing the things God calls us to do as an act of worship. This is what fasting is about. It's about taking away the food so we can add more of God in. It's a discipline for ourselves of subtraction, but not subtraction just so we have less than, but so that we can add more of God in. And right here within this purpose is also the reason behind we do it. As it says in Romans 12, we do this in view of God's mercy. We fast as worship because of all that God has done for us. When we fast, what we do is we temporarily give up food because Jesus gave up his life. We offer him a few hours because he gave us eternal life. We're giving a little in response to the allot that God gave us. Now, there's lots of other sub-reasons that play into this, but this is our primary reason why we fast, because we want to offer ourselves to God. Now, as we go through that, there's other sub-purposes that maybe you want to think about as we go through this 21 days together. And one of those purposes is for conquering sin. Right, when we offer our body... As a living sacrifice, it says, offer ourselves holy and pleasing. How do we be holy? How do we be set apart? We strive not to sin. But let's be honest, sin and the patterns of sin in our lives are difficult to overcome. But we see in fasting, there's opportunity for God to do something. There's a guy from the 5th century. He ended up becoming uh, the pope in Rome named St. Leo the Great said this. He said, fasting gives strength against sin. It represses evil desires, repels temptation, humbles pride, cools anger, and fosters all the inclinations of a good will, even unto the practice of every good virtue. You know, good, godly people, since the church was established, have seen fasting as a way to control sin issues and build up good activity within their lives. You know, there's an interesting reason the seven deadly sins are ordered in the way they have. You know, the early church believed in seven deadly sins, things that would steal our attention and our hearts away from God. Guess what number one is? Gluttony. Gluttony is the number one sin, they say. And why they said that is because they believed there was a connection between our appetite— and our overindulgence in that way and the other issues that come into our life. There was a connection, they believe, between uh, our gluttony and our lust and our desire to put our sex drive into overdrive and use it in an ungodly way. There was a tie between gluttony and the anger that would flare up in our lives. There was a tie between the way we eat and the pride that begins to come out of us. And you know what's really interesting is a couple thousand years later, psychologists went, oh, they were right. Psychologists in the 20th century discovered something called the pleasure principle. The pleasure principle is simply this. It's the thing that drives us towards the things that make us feel good. It's our body's way of saying, you know what, how I want to live? I want to live with what feels good in this moment. Hmm, feel familiar? That's for me. I know that's how I often want to live my life. But from lived experience, what do we realize? That the things that feel good and gratify us for a moment are often destructive to our lives. You know what I mean by this? I mean, I, I think about, like, you can blow up an anger at a family member or a coworker or somebody, and you feel justified, and it feels right for a moment, and you feel good, like you've won a fight. And then suddenly, as you see the pattern of that come out in your life, you realize, I've destroyed relationships in other people's lives. We see this happen when people chase after lust looking at pornography and how it rewires our brains. And that ends up hurting current and future relationships by how we've rehardwired ourselves by getting a little bit of what we thought gratified. These things will surface as we fast. Richard Foster in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, rightly says this, he says, fasting will reveal what controls you. Fasting, as it reveals what controls us, though, also has another side. It teaches us how to stop ourselves from pursuing that which gratifies in the wrong way. It teaches us to carve out those things that control our lives and put God in their place. The more and more we fast, the easier it becomes to control the sin patterns in our life particularly those of things like lust and anger and pride. One pastor I know shared his experience that when he was wrestling with lust, he realized that fasting was actually the key. By controlling his hunger and offering more of his regular life to God, he was actually able to see freedom from his desire to look at pornography. He went on to say this, he said, when you can't overcome a sin, whether it's pornography or gossip or yelling at your kids, it's because you are outside the range of your own willpower. So here's what you do. He prescribes this, he says, fast, offer your body to God so that the spirit can break a hold of the sin that's over your life. You know, even with fasting, it's going to be really difficult if it's not something you participate in regularly. But what we do in that time is we go to God time and time again. This is what I do. When I'm fasting, I go to God and I say, God, this is really hard without you. Will you help take hold of my desire to eat? Will you help me carve out time for you? And it's amazing, again, with that purpose of offering myself to God, what happens is that God responds by you, by his Holy Spirit working in me. He uses that time. And when I also offer up that time for him to carve out other patterns of sin in my life, it gives him time to work. It gives me him time to bring new life to me because I'm choosing not to satisfy. If you're in some type of pattern of sin, whatever that is in your life, and you're going, man, I just can't get over this. Like this thing, you, maybe you re- resonate with the Apostle Paul. That, I do that which I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I want to do. And that's you, and you're struggling with that in your life. I encourage you, go to fasting. This is going to be an important discipline for your life. Finally, quickly, good purpose number three, to turn up the volume to crank up our communication with God. Throughout scripture, we see prayer and fasting go hand in hand. What's prayer? It's just communicating with God. It's talking to him. It's listening to him. And when we fast along with that, what happens is it sort of cranks up the volume on the speaker and amplifies our prayers like a megaphone. Think of what happens in in the early church. In Acts chapter 13, verse 1 to 3, I'm not going to read the whole scripture, but it's here on the screen. But we read this story about when a group of men were fasting, fasting and worshiping, they spoke to God, and God responded to them. They spoke to God, and God responded to them. God, we want something from you. God gives them direction. They're able to go do it. Things were amplified in that situation. On the total other side, we we see somebody, uh, some situation like the city of Nineveh. You might remember Jonah, Jonah and the whale. You know, Jonah goes, he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. There are a bunch of horrible people that he wants to spend no time with, but God keeps saying, go, go, go. Well, Jonah finally goes to Nineveh and he tells them, you know, everything you're doing is against what God wants for you. You need to turn your life around. And then Jonah goes away. What does Nineveh do? It says the whole city of Nineveh, the oldest people, down to the kids, including the animals, go on a fast and begin to talk to God. And what does it say? Scripture says that God sees and hears the people of Nineveh, and he decides to spare their lives. God responds to us when we fast and pray. It's like turning up the volume. It's not to say he doesn't hear us otherwise, but it's just a way of showing the seriousness of what we're offering up to him in our conversation with him. And so these are some of the purposes. Maybe you're feeling disconnected from God. Maybe you're feeling like you're just not hearing from him. Well, turn up the volume. Participate in fasting. You're struggling with that sin. Turn up the volume. You're really struggling with knowing direction. You feel like you just haven't offered enough to God. Turn it up again. Offer yourself the whole of your life. And start with fasting. So let me just give you some quick basics of fasting. I just I don't want you to leave and be like, okay, I'm going to go do it, and then you have no idea where to start. Let me just give you some simple stuff, and then if there's stuff that you have more questions about, I'd love to talk to you in the front entrance. I know there's many others in the church who you might know who fast. Go talk to them. Uh, But here's where to start. First, for starters, decide what you're going to fast from. As we read in scripture again, a normal fast, normal fast, what we most typically see in scripture is a fast from food. So this is when you don't eat, but you still have water and stuff. We also see examples of absolute fasts, no food, no water for a period of time. We also see something that we call a partial fast. If you're interested in that, that's what happens with Daniel, where he decides to cut out rich and pleasurable foods and just the veggies. Maybe this is your cauliflower diet, uh, because you still need to eat, but you're going to carve out those other things. You know, as a a part of your fast, you have to sort of decide, what am I going to do? Now, if you have any type of health concerns... uh, Don't kill yourself. I don't think that's what God wants. You know, talk to your doctor, figure out what's appropriate for you, but then lean into what you think might maybe put you a little bit uncomfortable and be a real sacrifice and do that. So, for most of us, that might look like if this is your first time fasting, giving up a meal. I'm not going to eat at lunchtime. So, I'm gonna have breakfast, I'm gonna go to work. Uh, I'm going to have some water through the day, but then at my lunchtime, I'm going to take a break and I'm going to pray or read my Bible or go out to my car and turn up some uh, music and just worship God. You know, there's, there's that sort of thing. For others of us, perhaps if uh, we're more experienced in fasting, this is an opportunity to give up a day. Most typically, what we saw in the early church and what we even see in scripture is a period of time from sunup to sundown. And so it's an opportunity for you to say, okay, I'm going to have dinner. I'm going to go to bed. And when I get up, I'm dedicating this whole day to God. And then we break our fast at the end of the day or the next morning at breakfast. Perhaps maybe this food thing is not an issue. And so you're going to give up just part of your diet. You're going to say, I'm not going to have alcohol. I'm not going to have meat or desserts or junk food or something that I really enjoy. And, that, and when I want that, when that craving kicks, I'm gonna use that as a moment to remember, I need to focus on God. Or perhaps maybe you have a health issue. There's no, like, this is a judgment free fasting zone. Find something else that you really like or that really controls you and give that thing up. Maybe it's social media or your phone or the TV or news or some type of activity that you just have to do every day to sort of get by, consider giving that up for a period of time over this 21 days. Give it up for the whole 21 days, or maybe just a day or a part day if you like. The point of all these fasts is that we're giving up something to offer ourselves to God. Now, how long you should fast and when is going to depend to you over these 21 days and hopefully going on, but uh, just decide. For most of the church history, what people did was actually give up two days a week. This is actually really only stopped at the Reformation in the 1500s. But prior to that, what a lot of churches did and believers did was they gave up two days or part of two days to mimic the suffering of Christ. They would give up food on Wednesdays to remember that was the day that Jesus was betrayed. And they'd give up Fridays because that was the day Jesus was crucified. And then what they would do is they would feast on Sundays. Remember, remembering that Jesus rose so maybe that's a pattern you want to follow if that's too much don't do it just find something that works for you but whatever you do I encourage you to make a plan don't do it willy-nilly you will fail like listen to my personal experience I failed so many times just being like I'm gonna fast and then how am I gonna I don't know I'm just gonna do it and I didn't survive so have a plan when am I gonna fast what am I gonna fast from and which of these purposes is going to be my fast in this season And as you're doing that, decide not just when I'm going to do it, but how am I going to start it, what am I going to do in the middle, and how am I going to end. At the start of it, I would encourage you to uh, take a time for prayer. So if you're starting this in the morning or you're skipping lunch or whatever after breakfast, you're going to say, Lord, help me. I'm going to be hungry over these next hours. Help me to focus on you. Holy Spirit, I'm offering you this time to do something in me or through me at work or something like that. Then in the time that you are fasting from a meal, pray, read your Bible, sing. Again, do those types of things that help you draw closer to God. Use the hunger pangs that will come as a reminder to redirect your thoughts to God. And do that all through whatever period you fast. And then when you end, thank God for the opportunity to spend time with him. If you do any fast of more than like skipping a meal, also just a, a good piece of advice, end slowly. Like if you're only doing water, add a little bit of juice. If you're only drinking water and juice, add like a light meal before you jump in. Because if you suddenly go out for a cheeseburger because you made it to sundown and McDonald's drive throughs is the only thing open, you are going to have a gut bomb and feel gross. Like it, that's just practical advice, but consider how you're going to do that. Finally, I encourage you to consider whether you're going to do this alone or do it in community. Many people misunderstand the warning of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. They think for some reason that that tells us that we shouldn't have other people involved in our life. Uh, you know, but what Jesus was really saying is don't do this as something that is to seek attention, trying to be spiritual people. In fact, what you'll actually find in scripture, loads and loads of time, particularly you'll read this in the Old Testament accounts, is that God called communities to fast together. There was a regular rhythm within the Jewish calendar to fast before they feasted, and it was to remember what God has done in their life, how they have now sacrificed to respond and prepare for the feast or the remembrance of the good things God has done. If you're in a community group, talk about it if you're open to it. Have the encouragement of of others. Talk about it as a family. You know, you can either all do it together or you don't uh, or you're on a different schedule, whatever. It's still an opportunity to talk and to learn, especially if your parents or grandparents involved in some kids' life. This is a great example to point people and disciple them along the way. So these are the things that we do, which are sort of the basics of fasting. I've given you sort of some of the purposes. Now let me close with just one warning and one encouragement that comes with it. The warning is this. If you choose to fast, it's going to be a spiritual challenge. There's spiritual warfare that takes place as we do this. This is part of what we're doing. We're trying to connect our body, with our the wholeness of our soul, mind, heart, and strength. And that does something that the enemy of God does not like. You will experience difficulties and temptations. Those things that control you, the enemy of God is going to try to use them to distract you and turn you away from them. That's why we re- see those things that control us flare up. And so you need to remember to press into God. Because if you don't, you will feel like quitting and it's going to go, your ugliness is going to go beyond just being hangry, which you'll get over if you get used to this, but this thing will come and try to eat you. The other thing that's going to happen as part of that spiritual warfare is that you're going to feel like nothing's happening. The enemy is going to try to get you to think that nothing is going on. But we have to remember that there's more to reality than just what we see going on. There's stuff that takes place in the spiritual realms that happens in fasting. So let this encouragement come from Arthur Wallace, who wrote a great book. If you want to read it, it's called God's Chosen Fast. It's a super quick read, but he writes this. He says, do not make the mistake of judging the efficacy of your intercession by what you feel. Often in seasons of prayer and fasting, you will find the going harder harder instead of easier, and you will seem to experience less rather than more liberty. This is often when the most is happening. This is wrestling. This is heavenly warfare. Often you will not see till later the full results, but the promise stands. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So let's just take a quick moment and listen to the invitation of Jesus for how we can fast. I want you to just take a moment, thinking about the fact that Jesus said, come and follow me, and consider how you might be able to use this as a part of your worship life. For some of you, you're going to hear a very clear plan. You're going to sense exactly what you should do, and I encourage you to follow after that. Others are just going to feel a prompting to just try this, and I encourage you, don't let that go. For the others of you, you're going to feel a distance and emptiness in the silence. And for that, I encourage you to use that as an opportunity to remind you to try so that you can turn up the volume to hear God's voice more clearly. Let's just sit for a moment with the words that Jesus said, come and follow me. God, you are so good to us. And we thank you that you invite us to come to you and to follow you. We thank you for this invitation into fasting. And Lord God, I confess there's been many times in my life where I've resisted. Or I've done it with the wrong heart and reason. Lord, I thank you that you forgive me for that. And I pray for myself and for my friends and church family here, Lord God, that we would... Be ushered into your presence by taking upon this practice on ourselves. Both individually and as a community, God, we offer ourselves to you. God, I know how scary this thing can be to enter into fasting, so I pray for those who maybe feel anxiety or fear or feel skepticism about it. Lord God, I pray that you would just do great work by your Holy Spirit in their life to strengthen them, to give them purpose, and then to guide them through so that they can draw closer to you god for those who maybe have tried fasting before and felt like failures i pray that you would remind them that you love them and that you continue to call and so no matter what has failed in the past you want to bring newness to them god i pray for those who who are excited about this God, I pray that you would just encourage them through this whole season. God, would they draw closer to you and be inspired by you more and more? And God, as we as a community give ourselves to you, I pray that you would be pleased by our worship, that you'd be honored by the sacrifices we make. And then, Lord God, would you guide us? Would you break our chains of temptation? Would you break patterns of sin? Would you bring wholeness and healing to our lives in ways that we can't expect not because we deserve it not because that's the reason we come to you but god we just want more of you and we want more reason that's easy for us to understand so that we can glorify you all the more so god we thank you for this time we thank you for the ways you move and we give ourselves to you over these next days And we thank you that we can trust in what will happen because of who you are, Jesus, and what you've accomplished. So we pray this with faith, trusting in your power. In Jesus' name, amen.